And I, I just want us to all love Jesus a little bit more, love each other more uh, because of Scripture. Now, something almost every human being has in common is somewhere along the way we learned how to walk. Do you remember that day? <laughs> Raise your hand if you remember that day. Okay, I just want to see if people would mindlessly raise their hand. Yeah, of course, none of us remember that. We don't remember that, but, uh, you know, I, I've raised three kids, and I have lots of nieces and nephews, especially on Beth's side of the family. So I've been around when a toddler's learning to walk, and, and it's a very, very fragile um, but beautiful time because so much um, encouragement is happening, so much trust is being built. Um, there, there's just, it's just a very special time. Now, Beth has a big family up in the Appalachia region. That's my wife. And um, lots and lots of nieces and nephews. And I've been there before in the room when one of the toddlers was learning how to walk. And you think that the Olympics, people cheer on the Olympics when a runner or a swimmer is trying to go to the finish line. When one of these little toddlers are stumbling about with a room full of her family, it is like, it is crazy. I mean, the, the one little stumble the kid makes and everyone just erupts in cheer and everyone's just so excited. And though we don't remember this, like, like you don't remember that happening, it's likely part of the social bond that you formed with a caregiver occurred in that moment. And so we know that the nurture that we needed, the encouragement that we needed, the love that we needed to learn how to walk, though we don't remember it, we feel it. Like, like we know instinctively that caregiver was there for me. They, they helped me to do something that was with me the rest of our life. You know, we're going to get to Colossians in a little bit, but before we do that, I want us to go way back 2,700 years ago, 2,700 years ago to the book of Hosea and to God's heart. And I want you to remember and feel God's heart for you and God's heart for us. And especially on this Baptism Sunday, we're going to celebrate with those being baptized, but we don't just cheer them on. We reaffirm our own baptism. And that's what we'll do in just a few minutes. And how did we get here? Hosea lived and ministered in a time of great national prosperity. And just like us today, in that time of prosperity, when things are going good, we feel pretty safe. A lot of us have uh, money and options and all of that. It's really, really easy to forget God. It's really easy to forget God. This is not a 21st century problem. I emphasize that 2,700 years ago for a reason, because I want you to understand that, that we have commonalities with all humanity. I mean, we think that we are unlike any generation or unlike any other uh, group of people who've ever lived, but we're no different in most ways like our ancestors. And their tendencies become our tendencies and their opportunities we're our opportunities. And so the prophet is trying to get the attention of God's people. And I hope this scripture gets the attention of God's people. And he sets up uh, both God's irritation, if we can put it that way, God's disappointment, and God's love all in one, one expression. It, remi it reminds me of my, my friend Julie and, and Brian, who live in Texas. They... Um, their son, a couple of years ago, was having some, some normal teenage problems. Still not the will of God, but it's normal teenage problems. 
And we, we were somewhat aware of that. And she posted this great picture of their son. I mean, just a handsome picture around his senior year. And she said in the caption, I simultaneously want to smack him in the face and pinch his cute little cheeks. How many moms can testify about that? All right, now, I knew you wouldn't raise your hand mindlessly. That, that came from the heart. Yeah, no doubt. And, and that's kind of like how we feel as parents, as, as caregivers, as, as fathers. It's like we get so irritated with our kids, but at the same time, that irritation, that disappointment, that sense of standards that we have to uphold doesn't change our heart for them. It doesn't change our love for them. It's like working together in concert. So here we go to the scripture, Hosea 11, uh, starting with verse one. It's, it's really one of the most tender passages of the Old Testament. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Israel called to the, to the Egyptians, even as Israel was leaving them. In other words, they, they were, even as they were leaving Egypt, they were like still attached to Egypt. And they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to the idols. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the hand, but they never knew I healed them. Boy, there's a lot to think about there, isn't it? God's saying, I was like that parent who took the child by the hand and helped them walk, but they don't acknowledge it. The, the idea of a father or even a mother who loves their kids and has all of that history, but the child doesn't acknowledge it or doesn't feel it or doesn't know it. And brothers and sisters, that's how we are about our God. That's how I am. We take him for granted. We do. We, we, we forget our own story. We, we forget our own testimony. So God goes on and, and through the prophet Hosea, the theme kind of changes to caring for an animal, which is part of what we do in creation. That's why our care for animals are so important. Verse four, I led them with human cords, with ropes of love. So think about an animal being led and led to where they're supposed to be, really led to food and water. And God calls those ropes of love. God's direction in our life is not a constraint. God's direction is an opportunity. God's direction is a gift. God's direction is best for us. Though in rebellion, we like to pull against those ropes of love, don't we? He gives this word picture again to an, uh, an agrarian society who's working with animals every day. He says, to them, I was like one who eases the yoke from their jaws. I bent down to give them food. Can you feel the tenderness of God for us. He's like, I'm, I'm leading them to nourishment. I'm leading them to what's best for them. And verse five is a, is a very difficult verse. I mean, translators have been working with this verse for a long time. And so our best guess is this. It says, Israel will not return to the land of Egypt. Our best guess here is that people were idealizing Egypt and saying, we know if the Assyrians come to us, we'll just go back to Egypt. And so the he says, Israel will not return to the land of Egypt and Assyria will be his king. Again, this is a time of prosperity. It would be like me saying, guys, uh, our democracy is going to crash. 
I mean, you guys would probably kick my butt after church if we did that. But what if I said that? Quit relying on the Constitution. Quit relying on democracy. Quit relying on politics because our country is going to fall. See, it doesn't even feel right, you know, because we put so much trust in our nationalism. Now, I'm a patriot, so that's all that. Thank you for your service. I mean, you know, even now I'm scared I have to give you a qualifier. So forgive me for being so fearful. But when you trust the United States of America more than you trust God, it's an idol in your life. So what if Hosea said, you know, Hosea says, Assyria is going to take you over. Assyria is going to take you over. You're going to lose your dynastic rule of the king that you always wanted and the, the king that you've nourished even through the split of Judah and Israel. And, and all of this is going to happen. A sword will whirl through his cities, and it will destroy and devour the bars of his gates because of their schemes. Now, here's the part that I want you to see yourself, because I see Aaron in this. I see, I see myself in this, verse 7. My people are bent on turning from me. And though they call to him on high, he will not exalt them at all. That phrase, my, my people are, are bent on turning to me. Guys, listen, just as we have the same experience learning to walk, just if we have that awkward transition from childhood to adulthood, don't tell them, but that's known as a sixth and seventh small group that's meeting across the aisle. But yeah, yeah, you know, middle school is just awkward, man. It's just tough on everybody. If you have a great middle school experience, you don't want to just peek there in life, right? Just as we adjust to what we're now called adulting, right? Like, like having a schedule and a job and paying bills. Just as we have to adjust the middle age and retirement, we have all of these common experiences. And, and history teaches that, that, that even way back, as far back as 2,700 years ago, all of these common experiences, we understand what it's like for a caregiver, caregiver helping us to walk, caregiver, excuse me. And there, there's so many more examples. Guys, here is the other common example, is that we have this propensity, this bend to turn from God. And I have it as a professional Christian. I only say that because that's my full-time job. And you have it. And if we're not honest about that, we're vulnerable to it. That's why weekly worship is so important. That's why, you know, regular devotions are so important. Because we, we, we keep turning our hearts towards Jesus. Turning our eyes towards Jesus. It's just too easy to be distracted. We think that our rebellion is sophisticated and intelligent and trendy and unique. And if you really study philosophy and history, it's true that people centuries ago were, were smarter than we are now. And yet we just think that here in the 21st century, we are just so sophisticated and intelligent. How could we serve God? You know, they were dealing with that same temptation, the temptation of earthly wisdom that causes the gospel to be foolishness to us. So now I want to turn your attention to Colossians. I told you last week that I wanted you to be note takers. You don't have to take notes because there's no blanks this week, right? I mean, everybody's like, cool, man. I won't get writer's cramp. But we did order pens. Pens are on the way because most Sundays I have nice little blanks for you to put in. But this call 
we'll return to Hosea at the end of the message, but this call from Colossians, I wanted, I wanted it to be sandwiched in uh, the Hosea scripture so that you can see yourself in Hosea 11 because I see myself. And in light of our tendency to drift from God, let's see what the scripture says. Here's the first thing. It's already written down for you. Focus. Seek the things above. Uh, Colossians 3.1. So if you have been raised with Christ, that's the title of this message. I love that, that we've been raised out of our sin. We've been raised you know, out of our rebellion. We've been raised out of a, a place of of imposition against God where, where we have no connection. And God raised us out of the, the pit, the psalmist said, and he took us to a high place. Guys, we're not meant to stay in the low place. We're not, not meant to stay in our sins, to stay in, in our sense of hopelessness. We're not, um, we're not meant to stay in our sense of te- temporal perspective. Like where we think, all I get is these 80 years. In case you're over 80, all I get is this 90 years. I don't know anyone in our church over 90 yet, but I hope I'm one of those people someday. All I get is this 100 years. And so we, we live our life in a temporal mindset with this anxiety of like, life, time is running out, opportunity's running out, life is running out, and, and, and the Lord lifts us up. He lifts us up out of that kind of humanistic thinking and he lifts us up to a heavenly way to live and to think where our identity was with Christ above. So like you are seated with Christ above. Uh, your destiny is in heaven. Uh, you, you have an eternal life that started when you, you came to know Jesus. Uh, you may take your last breath on this earth, but you will never die. You will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And that changes everything. So now... The, the focus is this. Since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. How many know that we need to hear that over and over and over again? Don't keep your eyes down. Get your eyes up. And spiritual focus, that's what the church calls us believers back to is a spiritual focus, to focus on the things that really matter, to focus on the things that really make a difference in our life. Someone asked Jesus this question, our gospel reading today out of Luke chapter 12. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. I mean, that's a big issue. How many know that after grandma dies, chaos is loosed on families. And, I, and, and it's kind of a ha-ha, but it's really not. It's really not. I have a lot to say about that, but we'll move on. Verse 14. Friends, he said to them, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he's like, I don't want to really get into uh, human law here. But he says in verse 15, he then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. We need to let the word of God feed us this insecurity we have because people that we went to high school with 10 years ago and 30 years ago, they have a nicer car, bigger home, they travel more, that kind of thing. If we have our minds set on that, we need to put our eyes to a higher place. No comparison. We, we should be humble and grateful for what we have. But materialism in the church is killing the soul of the church. When we begin to judge people by what their career is and how much money they have and how much they have to offer the institution and, and, and uh, all of the different outward um, symbols of 
power and wealth and influence. And Jesus, remember Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the one that we worship. He says, don't get caught up in greed. Your life is more than an abundant of possessions. Don't be that person who has all the stuff but doesn't have love. Verse two says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And I just wanna say this, someone really needs to hear this. Quit blaming God because you have your head in the wrong place. That is just, that is just a misdirecting of blame. Some of you are like, you know, you, you just have chosen to be bitter at God. And if you just put your mind on the things of God, the life of God would come alive in your heart. Deny, here's the next thing. Deny, put to death. And it goes on and it lists all of these these sins, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Now, everybody just hold on for a second. You going to hold your chairs here for a second? God's wrath. I mean, that just makes us uncomfortable. But I know this is that God's wrath should not scare those who know Jesus. So God's wrath points us to Jesus, makes us dependent upon the table of the Lord, which represents the cross and the resurrection. And, and I wouldn't, you know, I don't want a dad in my life that doesn't have a little gumption behind him who won't say, kids, straighten up. I don't want a grandpa who has no standards. I don't want a mom who doesn't confront my behavior when it doesn't uphold our family name. I mean, we, we think we want that, but we really don't. We, we, want, we want parental figures and grandparents that stand for something. We want a name that means something. We want a standard that, that has effect and, and even with that has consequence. And so we don't fear the wrath of God because the wrath of God takes us back to Jesus. And verse, verse 7 says this. It's put away, and you were, you were walking these things when you were living in them, but now put away the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the filthy language. Hey, all of these things are part of denying ourselves. Here's the next one, put on. It's not enough just to deny ourselves. We, we put on the nature of Christ. It says, and having put on the new self, you're being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of God. This is the idea of of when we do make mistakes, when we do use filthy language, when we use anger, when we participate in the sins that were listed as believers in Jesus, that's not really us. That's not really us anymore. That's the old man. That's the old Aaron. That, that's the old Sally. I don't know a Sally in the room, so I use the name Sally. That's the old Sally. And, and these things do happen, and unfortunately, um, you know, we, we do sometimes step back in the old man, and that's why Scripture says, listen, put to death the old man. And, and just the less you do something, the less it has a hold on your life. Is that deep preaching or what? You, you break the power of it. The second time, it's not as hard. The fifth time, it's not as hard. Through the power of Jesus, a tenth time, it's over. And then here's the last thing I want to say about Colossians is, and, and you guessed it because it's written in your bulletin, include in Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. This was a church that was racially divided. 
I know that these days there is the, the topic of diversity and racial reconciliation and gender inclusion is in vogue. Guess where it started? The Bible. It didn't start in the academic world. It didn't start in, in ideas generated from man. Jesus Jesus says, listen, there's no racial divide. There's no, there's no Greek. There's no Jew when you're in Christ. At other times, you know, the Bible is okay of, of giving identifiers to get the job done, uh, the di- distribution of food and things of that nature in the book of Acts. But our heart is inclusion. And so this is, should be our heart as a church. So let's go back to Hosea because the kids are about to walk in. I told, I told, said, send the kids in at 10 o'clock. So that service was drifting away. I'm like, oh, it's short and short and short, short. But here we go. As they walk in here, they, they, they'll enjoy this story. Are they, are they ready yet, Charles? Okay. Uh, just g- g- give me the thumbs up when they're ready. So back to verse eight through nine. Remember I talked about the parental figure who's ticked at their kid, but they love their kid, right? Now here's the heart of God. And that's why God wants you to do all the things in Colossians 3 that I already explained. He says, how can I give you up? How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Edmon or make you like um, Zebulun, Zeboim, excuse me, I'm sorry. Now, what is Edmon and Zeboim? Those were other cities that were destroyed at the same time Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And so he's, he's saying, if you go back to that first slide for a second, he, he's saying, listen to God's heart. How can I give up on you, you kid who is ungrateful? I taught you how to walk for crying out loud. How can I give up on you? How can I give up on you, Israel? How can I give up on you? And then he names Anma and Zubalim, the two cities that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I can't treat you like them because I love you too much. Don't you feel God's grace in this moment? And so he goes on in verse nine says, I, uh, he went on and says, I have had a change of heart. Wow, isn't the gospel good? Right, isn't Jesus good? Isn't forgiveness good? I've had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. I will not vent the full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. What a beautiful expression of the heart of God. Here's the deal. God says, yeah, I can send my wrath to you and you deserve it, but I'm not gonna do it because I love you too much. That's That's a picture of the gospel we have. Deserving the punishment of God, but getting the love of God. Deserving, you know, everything that we've done to forget God, we we deserve for him to turn his back to us, but instead he reaches out his hand in love. I want to invite the kids. Are they here yet? Come on. Our kids like to see baptisms. What can I say? And as they're coming in, I'll tell you a story. You don't have to look at me, but you can look at the cute little kids. That's fine. I won't be offended. Um, one of my earlier memories was going to the mall with my family. And, and maybe the kids will enjoy hearing some of this as they're coming in. And that was a half a day event to go to the mall. So the, the deal was this, Aaron, if you behave, the very last stop at the mall will be the JCPenney's toy store. 
So I knew that I had to be good all day because the very last place we would stop would be the J.C. Penney's toy store. And all day, the anxiety in my life was which Star Wars figurine would I choose? Chewbacca or Boba Fat? Which one? And I was stressed about it all day. I was on my best behavior. But was it going to be Chewbacca or Boba Fat? And so as a little, maybe five-year-old, six-year-old, I don't don't remember, I, I came, I had this idea. I picked out both of them. And I was choosing, which one should I pick? Which one should I choose? And I I use reasoning. If I don't pick one, mom will buy both of them. I mean, that's pretty smart. And so I was like, I can't choose. And she she kept trying to get me to choose. And my brother and sister were trying to get me to choose. And I would not choose. And and, and she finally said this, and you remember these kind of threats. If you don't choose one, you're getting none. If you don't choose one, you're getting none. But me and my five-year-old wisdom, I doubled down. I said, I'm not going to choose. I want both of them. So finally, it came to the point where we left, and I left without my toy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So like any good parent, uh, my mom put me in the back of the station wagon. No seat belt. No car seat. No seat. It was awesome. It was like a mobile playroom all the time. And I had a pillow back there. I told you I lived in there, you know. And and I put my head in that pillow, and I cried, and I cried as she drove home. And I started saying, I hate myself. I hate myself. My brother said, shut up. And I said, I hate myself. You know, my sister was pretty nice about it. But I'm like, oh, I'm crying and crying and crying. And I could feel the rhythm of the car going back to our neighborhood. But then the car started turning in unusual directions. And my cry started to ease. And sure enough, she returned to the J.C. Penney toy department for me. My brother's like, what are you thinking? He's such a brat. She said, I hear repentance in his voice. So I don't know if it was repentance or manipulation. But it, the, the story's not really about me. It's about the heart of a parent who said... He said, hey, he deserves punishment, but he's going to get my love. How many know Jesus has done the same for us? He's done the same for us.